Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from RNZ Sport. I'm Matt Chatterton. Super Rugby kicks off with the competition in New Territory. The Hurricanes are defending champions. How will they cope? Another former international rugby player is dead before the age of 40. Is enough being done for players once they retire? Football Ferns captain Abby Ursig pulls the pin on her international career, but has a crack at New Zealand football on the way out. Trent Bolt is New Zealand sports' latest million-dollar man, and distance runner Kim Smith reflects on a career running against dope cheats. The Super Rugby season has officially kicked off for 2017, with the Auckland Blues starting their season in style, a 56-18 demolition of the Rebels in Melbourne on Thursday night. This year, the Hurricanes are in unfamiliar territory. They're defending a title for the first time. After coming up just short in 2015, they vowed to complete the job last season and did just that. It wasn't all plain sailing, though. Captain Dane Coles had to draw a line in the sand when several All Blacks broke a Hurricanes team curfew in Durban just before their loss to the Sharks. That proved a catalyst, and the Canes then went on to win eight games in a row as they swept to their maiden title. Rugby reporter Joe Porter caught up with Coles to discuss how they plan on going back-to-back in 2017. It's going to be tough, mate. There are going to be some, some hard games, and guys are definitely going to try to come out with you know, the best prepared and try to knock us over, so it's going to be good. I remember talking last year after the win, the title win, of course, and you pretty emotional. You said you'd been here since 2008 trying to win this thing, and it was such a relief, obviously, and a sense of pride as well. Uh, I guess... How do you now, as a group that's finally ticked that massive challenge off, do you not button off in this season as defending champs? Yeah, and that's, that comes back to, you know, just because we've done it once, you know, things could... We, a lot of guys in this group would have to go do it again, and we've got the monkey off our back now, and I think um, it's just starting again, mate. Like, just because we won it last year and we know what to do, it's, it's going to be a different journey. We've got to find our own way this year, and... And uh, we really some good lessons last year, and I think uh, we've got a pretty good, experienced squad. A lot of those young guys will be better for for that last year, and uh, it's just exciting just to go out and, and, and try to do something that a Canes team has, has never done, and, and, and you know go back to back. But yeah, it's just going to come back to the week, the preparation, and uh, make sure we nail off. You know, do your role and, and enjoy the enjoy the journey, because it's going to be one hell of a ride. You talk about learning experiences last year as a captain. I guess the Durban experience was an interesting one for you. However, drawing that line in the sand helped spark that incredible run to the title. Now, I guess when you when you look at what you had to do last year, do you feel like you can sort of you've moved on from that? You've set that in stone, and now you can kind of just continue from where you were. Yeah, I think yeah, that was probably the hardest thing I've ever ever had to do. But uh, you know, I just want to send that message to the not to those guys that kind of. 
you know, they know they did wrong, but to the team, that no one's bigger than the team, and you know, you've got to earn the right to put on the jersey, and you know, those guys disrespected it, and, and they dealt with it, and, the, and everyone's moved on. But I think uh, it sends a good message, and you know, I'm big on that. You know, everyone has to be a team man, and, and no one's bigger than the team, and so yeah, I hopefully boys get the message, and well, I'm pretty sure they they, they definitely got the message, and. You know, I mean, that's just the thing of being captain. Those things kind of come up, and yeah. you just got to deal with them. And we deal with it the best way I thought was was right. What's the biggest challenge for you guys this year? Is it just maintaining consistency in the face of knowing every team's going to bring their A game every time they play you? Yeah, I think that's definitely right up there. But uh, you know, we put massive pressure on ourselves to perform, and consistent footy is it, it, it takes a lot. And I think we're just trying to keep it, keep things pretty simple and just come down to the preparation side and. And I think that enjoyment, getting that on-field, that balance right, you know, working hard, but getting, make sure we enjoy each other's company, and you know, because it's a long year. But so I think if we do those things and, and play some good footy, like we might we're not win every game, you know. That, the, so we've just got to make sure we, we learn from those games that we hopefully, trip, you know, if we do get tripped up and take the learnings and come back an even better side. Hurricanes captain Dane Coles talking to rugby reporter Joe Porter. The Canes opened their campaign against the Sunwolves in Tokyo. You're listening to Extra Time. The sudden death of former Australian international Dan Vickerman has prompted New Zealand players to seek help with mental health issues. The 37-year-old Vickerman died at his family home in Sydney at the weekend. There were no suspicious circumstances. Vickerman's death has highlighted mental health issues, prompting players to turn to the Rugby Players Association, as sports editor Stephen Hewson reports. The New Zealand Rugby Players Association wants players to see themselves as people first and rugby players second. A Players Association survey in 2009 found a third of players were unprepared and struggled during the first three months of retirement, while more than half took six months or longer to feel in control of their lives. A reason for that, says Players Association Executive Director Rob Nickel, is that a player's identity can be solely linked to sport. That's where you've got to resist it and you've got to fight it. You know, you're talking, whether it's rugby or a swimmer, a footballer or any professional athlete, as they become labelled very early on and that becomes their sole identity. Well, the challenge we put on the athletes is to say, you're way more than a swimmer, you're a person with talent. Take those attributes, take those skills, explore other opportunities in life find other passions and pursue them. Nickel says it's unfortunate it takes something as tragic as Dan Vickerman's death for players to seek help. It has hit home, but it's, you know, saying, it's not the first time. You know, Every month when you look globally within the rugby professional rugby player community, there is, there is something happening. Sometimes it gets the headlines, sometimes it doesn't, but it's a form of tragedy or, or heartache that resonates with the player, and it certainly results in activity and discussion amongst the players and, and a number of those players to make, take some positive action. The former All Black captain and now Blues coach Tana Umanga says the sport needs to create an environment where players feel comfortable talking about mental health issues. That doesn't come around by saying it. It's actually doing things where they, you know, like, oh, yeah, I can be a little bit vulnerable. I can show my feelings again, which is not a really male thing to do, especially in a, a rugby context. we just got to help each other, you know, talk, not just with ourselves, with our families, make sure we're connected in, in, in that respect. Um, you know, that's some of the toughest things. It's just really trying to get to know all the players and, and um, some of their habits, uh, you know, so that when they do come in and they're not feeling well, then we can try and pick that up straight away. And Players Association boss Rob Nickel believes that environment is evolving. 
back in the 90s, you know, and all that, it, it, rugby was great and it had its values and, and the people, you know, it, it's always been noticed wonderful. But I've noticed the younger generation now, they are a lot more caring towards one another and they're a lot more connected to one another. So everyone has a crack at the social media space and all that side of things. To be honest, the level of connectivity and the empathy between them is really special. Rob Nichol says much of his organisation's work lies in getting players to understand their playing careers will come to an end and then to help them overcome the challenges they'll inevitably face in establishing a new career. He's also urging former players to speak out about mental health problems, saying it'll help current players realise they're not alone. You're listening to Extra Time. The Football Ferns captain Abby Ursig announced her retirement from the international scene and took a shot at the national body about the women's game in New Zealand. 27-year-old Ursig has played 130 games for the Football Ferns and her last campaign with the side will be at next month's Cyprus Cup. New Zealand's most capped player says while she's not physically ready to stop representing her country, mentally and emotionally she's had enough. Ursig told Catherine Ryan that the women's players in New Zealand aren't supported enough financially. I've shaped my life around this game and committed a lot to it and you kind of get to a point in your career where you can't justify the amount of effort that you're putting in for what you're getting back and you know I'm obviously getting to that point in my career now so it is a bit tough and it is a bit sad um, that you have to do it not because it's a physical thing and you just can't keep up it's just you know you're at a point where you're fed up and you've had enough. What are the reasons just explain the years that you've been involved and what you and others have tried to do to what put the international women's game and team on a secure footing. What's the story? Yeah, it's been a long and hard road. It's been a a bit of a battle pretty much my entire career as a football fan. Um, You know, I started when I was 16, so that's 2006. Um, So it's been about 11, 12 years of just a a lot of hard work, obviously, behind the scenes and, um, you know, fighting for what we think is right. So what we're trying to put together now is something that, allows the players to be in an environment where they not only can perform but they can live and they can you know pay the bills and and do what most people do in a working environment you know be be able to be in a position where um, they can live so what has happened now when it comes to post olympics the funding situation and particularly the situation of uh, the players their ability to do just what you're saying, to actually train to the level required and earn any sort of income. Yeah, so obviously what we're finding or what we've found um, is that it's it's not a situation that is maintainable. We can't maintain um, the, the standards that we've been held to without the necessary input um, to perform at that level. And it gets to a point where the players break down, essentially, and you know, you, you, you're, you're stressed and um, you're trying to keep, you know, your, your personal life and your professional life going as smoothly as possible. And, you know, it does get to that point where you break. Um, and, you know, you could, you, can't, you could kind of see that happening a little bit before Olympic Games, you know, a, a pinnacle event in our career, a pinnacle event in anybody's life. Um, you know, players are breaking down just because the stress becomes too much because we can't maintain the lifestyle that's required to perform at that level. Um, so it did become really hard and then obviously... Um, results didn't go our way, uh, and because we're our, our forming our, our funding is based on our performance. You know, we lost a little bit of the funding, and it, it's kind of done a full circle. And we've kind of gone backwards in a sense, um, and, and gone back to when I started. 
what are the squad members paid? To train, nothing. Um, so we're not giving anything to train to be up here. Um, players need to find jobs, basically, in order to do what they need to do to perform. So do most players manage to get some kind of part-time work at least or full-time work? How are they patching together an income? Yeah, it's it's tough, obviously. They, um, they, they're doing what they can. They, they have had a little bit of support with the um, funding coming through from high-performance sport and obviously the... Um, a little bit of the mentoring from our advisors from there as well. So um, they do what they can to help us. But in terms of fi- going out and just finding a job and, you know, hoping that it's going to cover everything, that, that it's hard to do with the amount of trainings that we have to commit to. You know, you, you're telling these people that I need to work, but I've got to commit all of this time to this. So can you can you, can you you hire me? I, I, I don't know if I'm going to be here on this day. I can't actually tell you if I'm going to be here next week. Um I might have to leave for a couple of weeks to go on tour, but I'm not sure yet. So, and what is the environment like overseas by comparison? Stark. It's a, there's a, a very big difference. Um, obviously, we're paid a salary, so we're paid full time to be in the environment that we're in. Um, it's professional, obviously, so everything's paid for. Um, all the salary that I get um, is basically savings. Um, so all my housing's paid for. Um, I've had cars paid for. Uh, all the facilities are paid for. We get sponsorships. All the gears paid for. Um, we get paid for appearances and and to speak about the sport. Um, I, I literally just pay for food, and and that's about it. I can bring the rest back to New Zealand and and be quite happy about it. So when you players come back from the United States and from Europe, the top leagues that you're playing in there, you, you come back to this environment where there's not even a basic retainer paid to you, as well as we see the difference um, the difference between the the playing opportunities. The thing is, I suppose it is effectively here, is it effectively an amateur game? And what can you expect? What would you expect? I don't imagine there's the sort of sponsorship and funding available here, clearly there's not, to match what happens in the professional league. So what is it that you say? When you say something has to change, what is it you say has to change? And how long have you been trying to get it changed? I think we've been trying to change it for my entire career. It's been a long, long run, um, you know, fighting for what we think is fair. But in terms of the change that we need, we're not asking. Like you said, we don't have the we don't have the funding that other countries have, and that's never going to be how it is. We're not asking for a million dollars every time we step onto the field. We're not even asking for a million dollars in our entire career. We we just want an environment where. Um, we are able to focus on this job that we call football and we're able to do it without having to worry about if we can pay the bills, if I'm going to be able to eat next week, um, if I'm going to get to these pinnacle events and be in, you know, in a position where I can actually perform. We, they need to give us an environment where they can take those stresses away. So, you know, we're not, like I said, we're not asking for a lot, just enough to be able to live and enough to be able to focus on what we need to do. Well, following Ursig's interview with Catherine Ryan... We spoke to New Zealand Football Chief Executive Andy Martin to get his view on the matter. Martin told sports editor Stephen Hewson he was taken aback by Ursig's claims. A big surprise and, and very sad news. You know, um, Abby's a legend of the women's game and, and football in general in New Zealand, so very sad and disappointed. She's had a few parting shots though, hasn't she? Yeah, look, and, and she's entitled to that. I think she's earned the right to give an opinion, so I have no problem with that. I think... Um, what we've got to remember, and I think everybody uh, understands, is that the game in New Zealand is an amateur game. 
and and we've got aspirations on the international stage for the ferns to do well. So the ferns punch well above their weight, and you know they're in the top 20 in the world, um, and they've been a, a real credit to the country. Now the problem is the gap between the amateur game and the international game is so great that you know normally um, an FA would run the international team and pick the athletes from the professional club game, and we don't have that option here. So what what our team, what our coaches try to do is bridge that gap to find a way to give the non-professional players, if you like, a fast track to get through to becoming a fern, which ultimately puts them on the world stage and gives them the opportunity to get signed by a, a pro team. So that domestic program is, I think, what Abby was talking about. And it's, it's almost a, a voluntary program for those budding athletes in New Zealand who are aspiring to become elite and pro players to get in front of the national coaches on a regular basis at HQ to try and get themselves fast-tracked into the ferns. So it's, it's sort of because we're trying to think differently about this gap between club, amateur and international, that there's this void in the middle that Tony and the gang are trying to bridge. And that's the real difficult bit because as with any sport in New Zealand, as, as I'm sure you're aware, any budding high-performance athlete has to make sacrifices to make the big time. And what we're trying to do is enable that to happen quicker. So a great example is Abby herself. The fact that she's been through the ferns, is on the world uh, uh, game on the, in the shot window, if you like. She's been picked up as a consequence of the work through the ferns program. And we're trying to do that with more and more players. So you know, now I think we've got 17 professional players in these, um, through the system, which is more than we've ever had. So the system's working, but there's always going to be this real sort of challenge around the domestic program. How do we help the athletes get to the international stage? New Zealand Football Chief Executive Andy Martin talking to sports editor Stephen Hewson. You're listening to Extra Time. Trent Bolt's cricketing summer was given a boost this week as the Black Caps paceman was one of the highest paid players in this year's Indian Premier League auction. Bolt went for a million dollars to the Kolkata Knight Riders, while New Zealand-born English all-rounder Ben Stokes became the highest priced overseas player with the rising Pune Supergiants paying $3 million for him. Bolt, who just played a handful of games for Hyderabad last year, says the amount he went for was a surprise. Yeah, obviously uh, pretty excited. Yeah, pretty surreal to be honest. So we're, we're just in the car, a couple of the lads um, following the Twitter feed. So um, yeah, to see the, the name come through with a figure like that next to it is, is pretty unbelievable. I don't know if I was that nervous to be honest. I was probably more nervous uh, signing the the uh, application and putting my name down and all that kind of thing and sending it away. I think once it's it's in their hands, it's it's totally out of mind. So um, yeah, it was it was just bizarre, really. Um, Did you think last year when you didn't play that many games that maybe your market value was going down rather than going up? Yeah, once again, it's a it's a very hard one to read. Um, you know, different teams did uh, different things, but um, yeah, it was frustrating to to only play one game last year. I think and. Uh, only get that one opportunity, but it's it's the way it goes. Uh, it's the way the tournament's uh, played. Obviously, with only four overseas players, people have to miss out. But um, yeah, once I do get over there, I'm definitely looking forward to, to trying to put a good foot uh, forward and, and do something for KKR. How does it change things? Uh, to me, for me, it doesn't really change too much. Um, yeah, once again, it's it's still a wee while away. There's there's other things to focus on in the interim. So um, hey, it's a lot of money. It's it's bizarre how that much money can be put on the the head of a player um, to play for six or seven weeks, but. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a huge honour, but uh, I'm looking forward to it when it rolls around in a couple of months. What's well, top of the shopping list? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Might get a new pair of jeans or something, but um, no, the, the wardrobe is pretty full at the moment. It doesn't necessarily mean a million dollars in the bank for you, though, does it? I mean, there's a, there's a whole lot of things involved in this, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. I, I think I need to earn that, definitely. Um, 
once again, if you, you go there and don't play a game, you can you can easily miss out on an, um, a fair chunk of it. But hey, I'm not going there just for the money. I think the experience of, of getting there in front of um, you know thousands of people uh, in front of uh, a lot of Indian fans is is the most exciting part. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to rubbing shoulders with a few more international players, um, getting the chance to learn and uh, obviously try to grow my game in those subcontinent uh, conditions. Have you had a look at the other players in the side that you'd be joining? I mean, I suppose you can look at all the sides and think, I wouldn't mind playing in that side with so-and-so. You end up with a certain side that picks you. Yeah, hey, it's um, yeah, very unique. I think, um, yeah, there's a lot of quality in all the sides. Uh, um, yeah, I, I can't say I want to play for any team more than what I want to play for any other team, but, um, yeah, it's, it's just great to, to get that opportunity to get over there. Uh, once again, grow my game, grow my skills in those conditions and, um, yeah, have the chance to just enjoy it. Trent, how satisfying is this, mate? I mean, a few years ago, people were calling you a Red Bull specialist and, you know, over the last couple of years, you really made massive strides. I mean, it must feel pretty good. Yeah, it, it feels incredible. Um, yeah, I guess building up to that World Cup, I, I probably wouldn't have put myself in the in the bracket of being, you know, the top five or six white ball bowlers in the country. But, um, yeah, from there, the, the game has grown. Uh, I've gotten a lot more confidence with... Uh, with the white ball and now things like this are knocking at the door so it's, it's very exciting. You talk about the confidence here, are you doing something different with the ball now or what are you trying to do with the ball that you perhaps were before? Oh, I'm always trying to um, you know, grow the skill set I think um, the biggest challenge of me uh, of late has been uh, yeah, the lack of swing I guess, uh, the lack of movement in the air not just for myself but um, for all bowlers that have really toured their shores but um, yeah, I guess the, the focus has been on how can I get wickets if the ball's not swinging. Um, yeah. Lucky enough to have uh, Tim as a very close friend, who's a um, you know an internationally renowned bowler as well. So uh, a lot of discussions and uh, yeah, thinking on your feet and, and trying to do things when you're out there in the heat of heat of the battle. But um, yeah, it's going nicely at the moment. Corey Anderson went to Delhi for two hundred thousand dollars. Matt Henry and Martin Guptill to Kings Eleven Punjab for a hundred thousand each, and Lockie Ferguson to Rising Pune Supergiants for a hundred thousand. New Zealanders to go unsold include Ross Taylor, Ish Sodi, Neil Broom, Grant Elliott and Jimmy Neesham. You're listening to Extra Time. Finally, a persistent foot injury forced multiple New Zealand distance running record holder Kim Smith to retire from the sport. The 35-year-old US-based Aucklander made the decision after several seasons of below-par performances. Smith competed at three Olympics, Athens in 2004, Beijing in 2008 and London in 2012. Her best performance was 8th in the 10,000 metres in Beijing. She currently holds 11 indoor and outdoor New Zealand records, including every outdoor mark from 3,000 metres to the marathon. She told Barry Guy that her foot injury forced her hand. Well, a couple of years ago I had a foot surgery and I tried to come back from that after I had... Um, my first baby and my feet just kind of couldn't quite stand up to the training that I needed to be doing to compete at the level I wanted to so I decided to retire. Uh, so the surgery that that was sort of uh, uh, not a last resort but to sort of try and you know get things right again obviously? Um, actually it was a surgery if I didn't have it I wouldn't be able to walk properly um, so I my tendon completely ruptured, so I needed to have surgery. It was a, a major surgery, so I didn't... It was always going to be hard to come back from that, but um, I did get back running. I just couldn't quite... Um, my feet can't quite stand up to the many miles that I need to to be a elite marathon runner. 
How has it affected you coming, you know, having to, to make this decision and sort of having injury force your career? I mean, I, I'm, I'm getting old anyway. I'm 35 now and I wanted to have another baby as well. So I've, I've had a, a long career, I think. So it was going to happen sooner or later anyway. I mean, it's a, it's more of a young people's game. So, yeah, it, it wasn't. It wasn't too hard of a decision in the end. Um, running in pain every day, is it gets really old, so I just couldn't do that anymore. Also, I mean, you did various road races and that sort of thing. Do, you know, was it a, a successful career from for, as far as you were concerned, you know, able to make a bit of a living? Yeah, I mean, I made, I made a good living doing something that I love to do and I would have done anyway. So, I mean, not many people can say that about their job I think it's a strong passion being your your career for so for so many years and um I did well at it for a few years and yeah it was it was a lot of fun I see at the moment uh, the IOC is is retesting various uh, uh games Beijing and London where you competed and do you look back and perhaps look at the people that you were running against at the time you know is that sort of a bit of a cloud as far as you think your career is concerned that perhaps some of your opponents weren't, yeah. weren't clean? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something you think about and something you thought about at the time that makes you angry. But it is what it is, and um, I think the sport is is cleaning up now, which is a great thing. I just, at the time I ran in, it was definitely a very dirty time with the Russians and some of the other countries. Um, but you have to be happy with how you did and how you did it and be proud of that and and what you accomplished. I know you live in the States, but do you look back at what's happening in New Zealand with women runners here, the young ones coming through? I mean, can you gauge perhaps where we're at? Um, yeah, I mean, with athletics track and field in New Zealand is doing really well. Um, I just think it's, it's luck pretty much. Um, Someone comes on. I no one ever would have said that I was going to make three Olympic teams, but I did. And having Nick Willis's and Valerie Adams is just that's just uh, kind of lucky. And I think you can get that any time, really. But um, I haven't really looked at many results of the young ones at the moment. But um, there's always someone coming along that has potential. And yeah, obviously. The men's 1500 is really strong right now, which is great to see, and hopefully the girls can kind of step up from there too. New Zealand distance runner Kim Smith talking to Barry Guy. That's extra time for this week. Your feedback is always welcome via Twitter at RNZ Sport or our email, sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Matt Chatterton. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.